Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. I have a uh, very popularly requested guest returning to the show. And I say that because um, a handful of my followers are his clients. Um, There's a lot of trainers that listen to the show that look up to him. Um, Our guest is the one and only Dean Somerset returning for his second appearance on the show for episode 191. We're going to dive past the the origin story. He was previously on the show for episode 28, February 5th, 2019. So anybody wanting to learn more can kind of go back down the rabbit hole or check out my friends, um, Andrew Coates and Dean Guido, who have had him on the show. Um, So that podcast used to be called The Fitness Devil. So if you go back, 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 you can see a few appearances there. And now it's called Lift Free and Diet Hard with uh, Andrew Coates. With all that out of the way, how are you doing today, Dean? It's a good day. I mean, there's no smoke in the air, so that's always handy. It's sunny and I'm at the gym. Can't complain. So when it comes down to like getting your routine back to uh, training people at the gym, like, um, what are the things that you miss the most, like being kind of being stuck at home? And then now that you're back at the gym, what are you noticing the most that you missed? Well, the biggest thing was just face-to-face contact with people. I mean, obviously going through a Zoom is one thing, but being able to like walk around a client and look at them from a different angle versus here, I'm going to set my laptop here and that's the angle you're going to get. It's a little bit easier this way. But also you can kind of read people a little bit more effectively when you're in person with them and and kind of pull off their energy. Plus the energy in the gym is different than sitting in my basement by myself with no music and just staring at a computer screen. So it's definitely nice to get back in that groove again. Definitely. So to kind of bring us up to speed, what are your days like these days? Like uh, today or yesterday, for example, what did the flow kind of go like? Um, It's kind of disjointed all over the place. I still have a lot of clients that want to continue doing virtual. So I've got virtual clients in the mornings on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, in-person clients in groups on Tuesday, Thursday, and then in the afternoons, I'm pretty much at the gym all day. Um, But the challenge is like, I'll still have a few virtual clients that want to fit in here and there. So it's working with the client in person, going, grabbing my laptop, putting on headphones, going into a spot on the gym that nobody else is using, then going and training an in-person client after that or a group. So I'm kind of trying to figure out where I am most most of the days, so just trying to organize things, but it's nice because I'm able to get back into the groove and I've got a lot of new clients that have been starting up with me lately. So it's good to be able to get back in the field for things. Definitely. Um, so with regards to like spaces in the gym, I've often been teased for always choosing the same space to like train my clients. I tend to go yep. towards the corners cause I, well, introverted. And also, um, I find that I have a bit more control. Like if, if you find a good solid corner, you can kind of put some obstacles in the way so that people can't walk through the session. What about yourself? Do you ever find that you lean towards the same spot for different people kind of thing? 
Um, not really. I, a lot of it just comes down to where is there nobody currently occupying space? So I'll go to that spot. So it, it's more of a matter of, uh, you could say like fitness osmosis. You're just kind of filling in the gaps as far as where they go. Definitely. Well, I mean, that, that literally makes sense. I mean, I've never, um, gone to a spot that was full just out of sheer stubbornness and it, it is yeah. <laughs> true that's a, i like that uh, description of osmosis with uh finding finding your spot but something that we've really missed out in the last uh year and a half has been all the in-person conferences and stuff like um what what's the future looking like for you for for in-person conferences uh i'm hoping to be able to potentially do like a one-day seminar uh, in Western Canada and then Eastern Canada later this year in 2021. Um, obviously, things are still kind of up in the air as far as whether that would be possible or would it be safe? Would it be easy to do? What would numbers look like for events like that? So I'm still kind of kicking around the idea and hoping that things start moving in the right direction in terms of cases and people's willingness to do stuff. Um, I've already had a few offers to go over to Europe in 2022. So Again, hopefully things clean up nicely to be able to allow something like that to happen. I'm not too worried about it. I've been fully vaccinated. So for me to go and come back, I've got minimal risk, but it's just a matter of making sure that it's something where if we have a group of people together in a, a fairly enclosed environment, is it going to be safe for everyone there? And then things like legal liabilities, if people get sick from the event, what is the responsibility to mean? All that kind of fun stuff. So it's just making sure that it's the best scenario possible. So hopefully in spring of 2022, I'll be able to start getting back onto things again. Well, I mean, I always admire that about the way you're able to think about things in the big picture. And it kind of uh, corresponds with the fact that I've often uh, referred to you as like the fitness goat of, of Edmonton and even greater area kind of thing. It's just like, um, it, it's very easy to kind of get caught up in the momentum of one's career, but at the same time to always like, remember where you came from so for me like not a day goes by where i don't feel like this is like my first day on the job kind of thing i'm always like what yeah. can i learn from somebody else today and then finding ways to kind of uh show my gratitude to uh people who have like taught me things and even though like i've, I've seen you present at uh the evolve fitness symposium i haven't had a chance to go see the uh your collaboration with Tony Genelcore, but um, even through that one little interaction and watching like the recorded stuff back in the L2 days, um, I've been able to get like nuggets of, of information. And then it's like, whenever I have like a breakthrough with a client, it's not just, it's, I haven't come through with that on my own. It's because of mm -hmm. other people who have kind of paved the way ahead of me and so i guess what i'm trying to say here is if there is any new trainers listening to this make sure that uh, you are consuming people like dean somerset's information go read his articles go dive down the rabbit hole listen to the podcast he's been on that's all i've ever done is just try to be better each day and just uh try not to uh let ego take control kind of thing um with that being said like when you have to learn something new, where where is your compass pointing you? Like, where do you go to refine your skills? Well, part of it comes down to, like, what am I actually trying to learn? Is it something that is specialized information or is it just like a new exercise or technique? Uh, a lot of the time I try to go to the source as much as I can or to people that study that for a living. 
So like if I have clients that have knee injuries or shoulder or back injuries, I've got clients who are physiotherapists, orthopedic surgeons and all this, and I'll just pick their brain or I'll have friends or contacts or professional references where it's like, Hey, I have somebody who's presenting like this. What should I do about that? Is this somebody who you would want me to send in to you? Or is this something that you would see as being trainable in a gym? So for a lot of the time, it's going to the people who know way more about the subject than I do. And then trying to make sure that I'm on the same page as them. I'm not going to be able to say that I know more about an orthopedic surgeon's job than they do because there's no way impossible. I haven't gone through any medical training. I'm a trainer. So for me to ask them a question and then say, okay, well, that's your opinion. I'm going to take it. makes my job a lot easier. Um, if I'm learning about like psychological skills, I've got clients who are psychiatrists or I've got a couple of really good friends who are psychologists as well. Lisa Lewis is very well known in the field. So I've spitballed ideas back and forth with her about a couple of different things. So it's something where it becomes really easy if you know people that know the things that you don't know. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of networking in this industry. Like that's something I would have to say if I was to flex one aspect of what I do, it would be my networking skills. I might not be like the most educated in the room or like the strongest in the room, but I, I definitely am proficient at making friends on the internet. And I, I think that's a common trait amongst many fitness professionals. Like if you were to reflect Tony Genelcore aside, we just had him on the episode or on the show like last week. So it's kind of cool having one after the other. But aside from him, who are some fitness professionals that have really kind of like changed your career or kind of like filled your, your bucket, like just people that you're so glad that you met and you could tell that there would be a, a difference if you, if you hadn't crossed paths with them. Um, there's a lot of people, honestly, um, people like Eric Cressy was really instrumental in teaching that a blog was a thing. Like before he actually showed up and was doing a lot of the stuff that he was doing, I thought that the only way that you could actually produce and publish information was through like published research, or if you were able to get into men's health magazine or something along that line. So he showed really well that you, if you had a voice and there were a lot of ways that you could put that voice out there. So, um, I wouldn't have had a blog without reading his blog to start. Um, and then there's a lot of other individual trainers that I've been able to become really good friends with, like Ben Bruno, uh, Adam Bornstein, John Romanello, people that are very influential in what they do. Uh, but I'm able to just say, Hey, what's going on with this? Or, Hey, did you watch the game? Um, really cool when I'm able to just message somebody who's a big name, like Joe DeFranco or Kelly Sturette, and we talk about things like Star Wars, like nothing even related to fitness, but a lot of the, the best fitness contacts that I have, we never discuss fitness because that's what we do all day long. We know that we can bounce ideas off each other if we need to, but we connect more on more of a human level and more of just like a common interest level. Um, there's a, a guy in, I think he's in Ohio or Iowa. I can't remember which, but Joshua Citron, he and I just send each other wrestling memes all the time. <laughs> like we've never talked about fitness in terms of like our jobs, but we just like mark out on wrestling stuff and we just send each other the dumbest wrestling memes possible to try to make each other laugh. That's about it. Well, I mean, you're, you're kind of preaching to the, the, the choir here because that is something that, uh, I, I'm a big advocate of basically connecting with people to actually connect with people like yep. have something about that person's like um, human essence that you enjoy. And that, that's kind of a weird way to put it. But just basically 
who are we if we're not able to just talk about things that are fun with with our colleagues and our connections like at some point the the biomechanics gets gets old at, at some point there's only so many hamstring drills that you can talk shop about kind of thing and it's just yep. i look at it from like a longevity perspective like when when tough things happen like in a person's like personal life or just in their career where they just kind of feel like they just want to stop um it's good to have people to lean on and that's that's been one of the biggest uh, benefits for me of, of networking for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I was diving down the rabbit hole of past podcast appearances and I went all the way back to your first appearance on the fitness devil. And so for anybody keeping track, I think that was September, 2017. So um, just to kind of like, give an idea for people that's when Andrew Coates and, and Dean Guido first started their podcast and then I listened to their podcast for a full year and then I started my podcast so the perspective is endless you get to see people at the start of their content creation journey and something that really um, stood out to me was just you you mentioned the the process of discovery um, Dean was kind of talking about how he was trying to navigate some some drills to work on his injury and you observed and you had the answer right away but you were kind of letting him come to it on his own and just through yeah. the fact that it's hard to learn these things without kind of going on the struggle bus independently um when has been a time in the last three years that you have found yourself on the process of discovery where you've kind of like had a hard time figuring something out somebody could have told you the answer but you're glad that you had the hard time figuring it out kind of thing um well one of the things that i started doing with the pandemic was uh, i started to create a bit of a stock trading account so learning about stocks learning about the market learning about the different ways of doing due diligence that was entirely foreign to me before i'm still not very good at it just because i've only read about a half, a half dozen books on it and done some internet research to be able to say okay i think i know what's going on there's obviously people where they've spent 20 years learning about this kind of stuff in order to be able to have other people trust them with their money like it's a never-ending kind of field so just being able to get into that and say okay well i'm going to put a thousand dollars into this thing whether it's a stock or an option or whatever and now it's all gone okay what the hell just happened there what did i do wrong how do i move around through this so you learn that a lot of stock trading is a patience game versus a quick return. You'll see the odd stock get a lot of attention because it went up by like 700% in a day or it went down by like 500% in a day or something like that. So those are the ones that make the notice. But for the majority of people, their stock account should be something where they haven't touched it in five or 10 years other than just adding more money into the overall account. So just learning that patience is more important than actually seeing things on a regular basis was a big learning thing. And every book that I read said the exact same thing. Patience. You have to actually take your time with this. You have to be in it for the long haul. It's not something where you're going to flip $1,000 to $3,000 overnight. That might happen once or twice, but it's not going to happen all the time. So losing that money and then reinvesting, it was a way to teach me that patience element. No matter how many times I read it, no matter how many times I heard it from stock experts or pundits or whatever, I had to actually go through that process on my own. Definitely. And it, it's cool to kind of hear that from your perspective, uh, just with like investing and stuff. That's kind of like some of the small talk that I have with some of my clients. Like one of my clients, his name is Carl. Shout out to Carl. Um, he's extremely intelligent when it comes to in investing and um, just making very uh, 
rational decisions with money, but it didn't come because he was always that way. He made mm -hmm. all the mistakes that you could think of, and he's very open about it. And so when he shares that with me, then I get the, the perspective to, to kind of understand like this is not too different than like a fitness career in the sense that like mm -hmm. you, you need to surround yourself with knowledgeable people and you need to uh, stay humble through it all and you need to understand that you're, you're going to make mistakes but if, you're, if you are hesitant to make those mistakes um, you're not going to get anywhere kind of thing. Like, with regards to your fitness career, when's the last time that you're kind of like on the edge of doing something that was scary and you thought you wouldn't do it, but then you did it and it paid off. Um, pretty much everything I've done. Anytime change happens, it's scary. And anytime something new is being brought forward, it's a big deal. So I'll, I'll take the example of moving away from a commercial training facility and creating my own independent business. So I started with zero clients. I went from uh, when I was working as a trainer in a commercial facility, I had 40 clients regularly and I walked away from it. So being able to set up my own business, I had no idea as far as whether clients would continue to train with me, whether new clients would start up with me, what that actually looked like down the road. So walking away into essentially the complete unknown, I was relying on my reputation, my skill set, and my social media presence to be able to buffer me up and be able to get new clients coming in. And it worked out well for me in the end. But it was one of those kind of things where it's like, okay, well, this had better work. Because if it doesn't, I've got a wife, a mortgage, car payments. And if it doesn't work, then I'm going to be in trouble. But thankfully, it did work. Definitely. Well, there's something that you mentioned in our episode back a few years on episode 28. And it was you talked about the body of evidence. And that just uh, struck a chord with me. It's like, Oftentimes I'll go back to old episodes and that was one that I listened to because there's just some good nuggets for um, anybody that's ever felt like kind of discouraged or they feel impatient and they just don't know what to do. And it was just like what stood out to me was the fact that like when we don't have control of our outcomes, there's little things that we can do within our day that are going to help us in the future. So like you kind of talked about how you started like writing articles when you realized that that was a thing. And um, just if somebody goes back on your YouTube, like YouTube recently made that change about how most unlisted videos had to be made public. And so a person could probably go and see quite a library in, in your YouTube just to kind of understand that like, hey, like if pandemic happens, gym closes, you can't do some things, but you can totally do other things. Um, when I kind of ramble on about that, what is the first thing that you think about as far as like building a body of, of evidence and like how that has been front front and center for you in the last year or so? Um, well, part of the, the video library was that I use a lot of video coaching dem uh, demonstrations and descriptions for online coaching clients. And when the pandemic hit and I had a lot of clients move to virtual, I wasn't able to bring them a physical book with their program in it like I was doing for the last little while. But because I'd already had the online platform set up, it was easy enough to be able to say, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to make you into essentially a virtual client and send you a program that you can follow through my online coaching app. So it kind of replaced that uh, me not being there vibe and allowed me to give a higher level of service to my clients than what I was doing before just on existing stuff that was already there. Plus, a lot of the time, if I have a client who's like, 
hey, I can't remember this exercise. What is it? I can say, oh, I have a YouTube video of that. I'm going to pull that up and then send that to you. So that way it's something that's easy for them to learn about. It gives them the quality of service that they're looking for. And it makes my job easier than trying to describe it or draw a stick figure or do something really weird that doesn't even explain things properly. So if you have an actual body of work behind you, it makes things easier. And it's not necessarily about trying to go viral on every single piece. It's like, okay, well, what is something that I do on a regular basis? Or what is something that my client does on a regular basis where I could get somebody else to do that same thing? Or do I have 20 exercises that I give the majority of my clients where a new client coming in would need a little bit of help figuring that out? Well, film those 20 exercises, whether it's on your phone or if you have a more professional camera or a microphone or something like that, film the exercises, throw it up on YouTube and click the monetize button so that when people look at it, you get like one one millionth of a penny out of it. And over time, you might actually be able to afford a cup of coffee. But at that point, like once it's up there, it's done. You don't have to do it again. Uh, one of my clients is kind of going through a bit of a, a professional changeover right now, and she's moving into more of a private practice. I think she was actually on your show a little while ago, Dr. Will France. Yep. And we were talking about all of the stuff that she had to do coming up and about how much it was stressing her out. And I said, a lot of that is stuff you only really have to do once, like when you buy the furniture or when you paint the office or when you do like fi uh, finalizing your lease agreement. That's all big stuff. But once it's done, it's gone. You don't have to worry about it again. Like once you bought furniture, you probably don't have to buy furniture again for like another 10 years. So it's a lot of stuff, but it's not stuff that's going to be there for very long. So once you film some of those videos and you put it up there, you don't have to refilm those videos. That's there. You can use it 50 or 100 or 100 million times, and it's still going to be beneficial. It's going to take you maybe 20 or 30 seconds to do, and then you'll be able to reap the benefit of it for as long as you want. Well, I mean, that's a really important uh, point to make and something that I thought about as you were kind of sharing that with me was one of my past guests uh, Dr. Michelle Boland she really like outlined to me how valuable an exercise library is and if a person has like the bandwidth to like basically structure time within their like workout routine to dedicate time to filming exercises like it's not that uh, it's not that tough to build up a library kind of thing. Like if a person as a trainer works out like five times a week or something, you can film one exercise in every workout. Like you could do your, your program workout and then do a demo at the end or at the beginning or whatever works best. Yep. And over time, like you're going to have a lot of exercises there. Like that's, I think my my exercise library might have like 300 videos and it doesn't feel like a lot because I'm always comparing myself to people who have like 3000 but yep. it's certainly more than I had a year ago and so I think it's just it's important to kind of create these habits that uh, kind of compound over the years and turn into something and just be patient with that process. True. And a lot of the time, you don't really need a 3,000 video library. Like a 300 video library probably does everything you needed to do, especially if it's done well where you're coaching people how to do it. You're explaining what not to do. You're explaining what to focus on. And the quality of the video is there to where the person can actually look at it and be like, okay, I know what to do now. If you have 3,000 videos, you're probably going to forget about 2,000 of them. And then you're probably only going to use 100 of them most of the time anyway. So the vast number of exercise videos is great to have, but then you actually have to use them. So if you have a 300 video library or a 3000 video library, as long as you get the use out of them, that's what matters. 
Definitely. Like it, movement and fitness has been made out to be much more complicated than it has to be. Like when it comes down to it, like we're, we're people who want to live long and fulfilling lives and get our, our needs met in life. Like there's a book that I just started listening to um, called Atomic Habits. Have you ever uh, gone through that book before? Um, who was the author on it? I honestly can't remember at the moment, but uh, I'll just kind of continue on with my tangent. Essentially, Atomic Habits outlined just kind of like what it takes to um, to break down the things that you're struggling with and make it easier to make corrections through your day, like um, zooming in on like the tiniest things rather than focusing on the biggest things, like rather than trying to change the world in one day just uh spending mm -hmm. one minute meditating or or something like that and it's it's a book that kind of came up in the midst of like a mentorship that i've been participating in and it's just for me it was very timely because i realized like there there's little tiny things that i can do in each day that are going to be magnified a long time from now like maybe a year from now two years from now but if i don't start doing these tiny things today then nothing will ever amount from it kind of thing. Sure. Was there anything in the last like year or so where you found yourself doing something differently that's uh, kind of turned into something today? Um, well, I did uh, a couple of live workshops that were supposed to go last year. I switched those over to webinar format. So and because like you couldn't travel or go to live events or anything like that. So I had never done webinars like that before usually like i was expected to go to vancouver and do a one-day seminar that didn't work out so i opened it up as being a webinar based which i've never done before and it was kind of weird to just speak to a camera with people in the chat window behind it and then get up and have my wife be the demo for doing all of the stuff i was trying to put her through and trying to make her not like visibly angry at me on camera too so that, that makes it a little bit more fun that way. But yeah, I've never done the, the webinar based elements of live presenting before. So it was definitely a learning process. It's fun. And the good thing is that um, if I would have done a live event, we probably would have only had about 30 people show up, but we had close to 50 show for the webinar. And there were people from four different continents. They otherwise wouldn't have been able to travel to make it to the a live event, but we had way more people show up for that than I would have through a live event. And the pricing was pretty much the same. So it, it worked out favorably for me in the end. But there's just something about the energy of a live room that's hard to replicate. Definitely. But I mean, like, it's like you kind of outlined just the fact that like, people got the opportunity to connect and learn and uh, like, just the connecting piece is huge. Like, I mean, I've often um, reflected on, on my opportunity to go to the Kansas City Fitness Summit. I know that's one that a lot of people have gone to and connected with friends in the industry or um, seen a presentation that kind of stuck with them and helped them, like, carve out their, their like, niche as to who they wanted to learn from and, and stuff like that. But at the same time, when people are just trying to kind of, like, get some momentum in the industry... Um, having the opportunity to, to get their start digitally is uh, pretty cool. Like I know there was that uh, the sleep the online sleep coach conference thing, the, the virtual summit. And I yeah. participated in that in 2020. It was just crazy how, how stacked the list of presenters was. And then it came yeah. back in 2021. I think you were on the list of presenters. 
How did that go? How was it like to uh, be part of something so momentous on the internet? It was pretty cool. And when they reached out to me initially, I was like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. I know that this is the thing that we have to do right now versus uh, in-person stuff. And it went really well. We had great feedback from the seminar. The tech support seemed to be really working well. Um, I was happy with how I did. I think that the reviews were pretty positive. So uh, they've actually invited me to a live one next year. So hopefully it goes off and we're able to actually make it work. So uh, it's one of those kind of things that was a great stopgap for the meantime. And it's something that gives an opportunity for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to attend. Um, I'm hoping that stuff like that continues, but it's definitely something where it's a big shift away from a live event. And I think it's something that people have to go into knowing that it's going to be different than a live event and willing to accept that. Love it. So something that comes up a lot in this industry is just burnout. Like how many people find themselves like basically whether it be because we're not good with boundaries and we give our energy all away or whether it be stress or just like the the turbulence, the ups and downs of the industry, gyms opening and closing, pandemic or no pandemic kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. how do you manage those things? Like you're a human, you're just like anybody else. Like how, how do you avoid burnout in your, in your career? Um, part of it is I've never not been a workaholic and I've grown up in a family where you go all the time. So part of being lower middle class is that you don't really have a lot of available funds to be able to do stuff outside of work. And if you have free time where you can work to make your situation a little bit better, you do that. So my family was brought up and we were always comfortable. We always had food on the table, but we didn't have a lot of luxuries. So when we had the ability to have free time, it was one of those things where it's like, well, what do we do? Well, you can go get a part-time job so that way you can make a little bit of extra money so that way you can put gas in your car so that way you can go and do something. But if you don't have that extra money, it's going to be very difficult for you to go and buy a new pair of shoes to play basketball or anything along that line. So my family has always been big on let's occupy your time. Let's find something to do. If we were ever bored, my dad would be like, I'll give you something to do here. Let's go out and work on this car in the garage and I'll, you'll, I'll get you to help me. And we're going to grind out some rust for like four hours and then you're not going to be bored anymore. So I took that with me through school, through sports, through work, through after I was done all of that into actual training. And a big part of it's also like, Burnout is one thing to be able to say, oh, yeah, I'm burned out. I'm physically exhausted. But it's very tough to get to that if you're only working 25 sessions a week. If you're working 60, 70 sessions a week, yeah, you can say you're actually burnt out. But if you're giving your energy and you're just getting to a point where you get almost like ennui, where you're like almost bored, but on an existential level, that can be a little bit different than burnout. Definitely. I figure there's a, lot of, there's a lot of healthcare professionals right now who are burnt out because they've been working 18 hour days for the past two years. So yeah, they're burnt out. If I'm working 20 hours a week, it's not necessarily burnt out. You might be losing some passion. You might be getting bored. So then we got to find new ways to spark some interest. So that might come down to taking on new challenges. It might be starting a blog, starting a YouTube channel, creating new content, figuring out ways to reach clients in a different manner. Maybe you're looking at taking some different courses. Maybe you want to do investing. Maybe you want to go into all sorts of different directions. But a lot of the time, if you find that you start getting burnt out, you need something that's just going to shake you out of your position right now. That might be training. That might be learning a new skill. It might be learning a new language. It might be traveling. It might be vacation. But a lot of the time, just getting into a rut means you need to get out of the rut. 
Well, I think it's important to outline that. Like, it's it's something that I've experienced myself in the sense that, like, sometimes it's not so much that I'm feeling, like, stagnant or stuck or exhausted because of the volume of, like, training that I'm doing. Sometimes it is just, like, my brain needs a reset. I need a new perspective. I need a new angle on things. Like, I know a lot of trainers do a lot of things outside of their career, whether it was the career that they did before they started or things that they do to support themselves as they're building up some momentum. And there's always value to those things, like whether it be a trainer that's working at the bar. I know I spent a year doing that. Or it could be a trainer working in some kind of a customer service aspect because it's going to uh, help us with our like emotional intelligence and our ability to connect and our mm-hmm. confidence in like uh, setting an impression with the, the new people that we meet. So it's like if we place more value on the things that we can do instead of focusing on the things that maybe in that moment that we can't do, like I, th- I think that's quite helpful. Like it's, it's just it's endless the things that are out there, like whether it be a person do landscaping or work on their content, or take that opportunity to dive into some, like, intensive continuing education. That takes up a lot of their time kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it also gets people motivated and involved in what they're doing versus just going through the motions. Well, one thing that I've noticed is, like, let's say someone's kind of feeling, like, frustrated, like they're not getting the energy that they're looking for, um, and there's no aspect of their life that is going well. Sometimes like finding a win in like another category can translate over to the other categories. So like if somebody was like, dang it, my career isn't going well, um, they could just go join a sports league and like maybe the sports league, they're having fun. They scored a few goals and then they can translate that uh, emotion, that feeling over to their, their training career or whatever it is that they do for, for work. Yeah, absolutely. There's always been times where I've come into work because something happened before I went to work and I was riding high and came into work happier than when it hadn't happened. So for stuff like that, what you do outside of work is just as important as what you do inside work. Definitely. Um, When it comes to travel, I know you travel a lot for conferences, but then you also travel kind of to just see the scenery, uh, go for a drive with your wife, stuff like that. And I think that's cool. Like, I think it's important to do that. What is your favorite thing to do? Where is your favorite place to travel? Like, where's your go-to place? Well, we're fortunate that we're relatively close to mountains. So I grew up in BC, so it's kind of in my blood. My wife's from Saskatchewan, so anything over 12 feet is a bit of a hill for her. So when we get a chance, we try to get to the mountains and go hiking. And we've gone to Jasper already once this year. A couple of weeks from now, we're going to, or actually next week, we're going to Emerald Lake Lodge. And a couple of weeks after that, we're going to Banff. So we'll be able to get a couple of times just getting out and getting into nature and doing some hiking. What is it about the mountains that, uh, well, I mean, it's just funny because like every time I look at Instagram, there's like three trainers in Canmore. Like it's almost a given <laughs> that you're going to find yeah. like part of Yeg Fitness in like a local mountain town kind of thing. But what is it for you? that uh, makes it uh, refreshing or helps charge your batteries? Um, well, it's a break. So you get out of this, the rhythm that you're in right now. Um, fresh mountain air and being able to go up and down hills, do some physical activity that you're not used to. I mean, Edmonton is pretty pancake flat most of the time. So being able to do something entirely different is just a good change. 
And also just spending quality time with my wife where we're not distracted with devices or clients or any of the other stuff that's going on where we're separated. It's just being able to spend time with her in the car on the way to and from, and then being able to hike and enjoy some nature. I mean, we live in a little bit of an urban landscape. So being able to see trees and chipmunks and elk and bears and stuff like that is just a nice break. Well, I mean, something that you kind of outlined there was like spending time and it's something that I reflect on often in the sense that like, even if a person's like at the start of their career, I think it's still important to spend time with their people, like not work to the point that they don't take time to smell the roses, like talk to their parents or their siblings or their nieces and nephews or their kids kind of thing, because like life is short kind of thing. Have you ever found a time when it was sort of challenging to carve out that time or has it been sort of like a value of yours that you've just established it and maintained it throughout uh, your whole time as a trainer? Yeah, for the first part of my career, I was pretty much work as much as possible just to be able to pay for what was necessary and be able to carve out a living. Um, In the last couple of years, I was able to start scheduling myself a little bit more effectively where I was able to say, okay, I'm going to be home by six o'clock every night. And I'm going to have a couple of days that I take off during the week and try to avoid working on weekends. So I was able to reduce the amount of time that I was away from home. So I could at least have dinner with my wife and be able to spend some time with her. Um, With the pandemic, we've spent way more time with each other. And we actually didn't grow to hate each other, which is nice. So we actually are better friends now and more well-suited for each other than before the pandemic, which is kind of a bit of a silver lining. Well, I mean, that that is super cool to hear. And I, I think I saw that you guys recently celebrated a pretty big anniversary. So congratulations. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Um, and it just kind of it outlines the opportunities that we have, like kind of making lemonade out of lemons. And like, I mean, for, for myself, I found that I grew a much stronger bond with my parents and my siblings. And it's not like it was like all sunshine and roses, just there's opportunities to connect and relate and help each other through struggles and uh, see each other through wins and, and stuff like that. And so it's just like, it's important to see the opportunities that we have in our slow times and our busy times and just uh, make sure that we can make make our people a priority, whether they're our people in the industry or our people outside of the industry kind of thing. True. Yeah, you got to make sure that you keep your people involved and happy so that like if you're going through hard things, they're going through hard things too. You might not know about it without talking to them, but that's why you talk to them. And that even corresponds to like uh, people that we each may respectively look up to, like like people that teach us things. They they have their struggles, they have their bad days. They they go through everything that any human would go through. So it's uh, the compassion is such a valuable ha- trait to have, kind of thing. True. So to kind of keep us on track and to bring us to a close for for this episode, um, I've always been curious. Are you a person that sets goals for for future years? And if so, how would you uh, go about doing that to kind of ensure that it kind of happens for you? Honestly, I usually don't. Um, I'm a bit more free flow when it comes to my goal setting. It's not something where it's like, okay, well, on Tuesday, I'm going to sit down and write out what I want to do by 2024. It's more like, oh, this will be cool. Let's try that. So it's not necessarily one of those kind of things where it's like, okay, I'm going to have a formalized date where I need to do stuff. It's more just like, hey, this is interesting to me. I want to learn a little bit more about that. 
maybe I should try doing this. Okay, what's the process involved with it? So a lot of my goal setting is based way more freeform than anything else. So, I mean, I like to schedule my day out, have a pretty decent rhythm so that way I don't have to think about things quite so much uh, outside of time. So it's like wake up at this time, shower, eat, go to work, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to my normal goal setting, it's more like, oh, hey, let's try this. I love it. Um, And then there's one question that I ask all of my guests to kind of like challenge, challenge the audience, kind of keep people on their toes and uh, get them always trying new things. So basically, you're just going to put a challenge out in the universe. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be unique to you. And you're just going to be like your challenge for the day is and then just uh, let them have it. Oh, okay. You're going to put that to me. Um, I, I would say the challenge is find something that you've avoided doing and finally do it. I think that's awesome. I think that's that's going to probably be a wake-up call for some people. Um, perhaps maybe it's something they put off for a long time. I know for myself, uh, there was a lot of uh, different continuing education things that I had put off. And I realized that I needed to do them and the pandemic forced me to do them. So hopefully mm-hmm. people take that advice. Hopefully people go back to the old episodes to kind of learn about the, the more intricate side of you, a bit more of your origin story. Um, but with all of that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for, for coming back to the show and, and being back on the Lifestyle Chase. Thank you. Hopefully I can come back at some point in time and all the best with growing the podcast and taking over the world one episode at a time. For sure.